Podcasting from the Space Coast in Florida, this is the Dadpreneur Podcast, where we'll feature entrepreneurs, share digital marketing strategies to help grow your business, and discuss the dynamics of family and business. Now your host, Alex Oliveira. All right, welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Ian Bauer. Ian is the founder and CEO of Graphic Rhythm, and he's going to tell us all about what he's doing these days as a uh, running a graphic design shop. Uh, you'll be interested to know that he's not a graphic designer, designer or artist, and he spent more than 20 years in the culinary world working as a chef. So uh, I'm sure you create probably really beautiful garnished uh, 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 dinners, but um, let's talk about uh, you, um, Ian. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. All right. So t- tell us about uh, Ian. Uh, well, so like I said, I was a chef for 20 years. I, I rose uh, basically to the top of that world and ultimately was an executive chef. Um, at a university. And so uh, truthfully, kind of by the end of it, I, I, I pretty much hated it. And one of the big reasons is uh, because of the taxes on my time, more or less. You know, I have two kids and I never really saw them because I was working 60 hours a week, you know, working my butt off. Um, and so, you know, I was missing out on a lot of stuff. As a chef, you're typically working holidays, you're typically working weekends, you're working whenever, whenever other people are are playing. So um, I knew that I wanted to get out of that. I always, I've always, uh, you know, I've always thought that I was going to own my own business. I've always had that entrepreneurial uh, kind of drive and mentality. I just, I always thought that it was going to be a restaurant. Um, and I'm really glad that I didn't do that. Uh, so I, I started kind of looking around and it's actually kind of a funny story how, how I got started because I was actually just like looking around for like how to how people rack up travel rewards points. Um, and I found this idea of selling stuff on Amazon, right? And you, you buy stuff with your credit card, you rack up the points, you sell it on Amazon and, it, you know, right. So you get these travel reward points. Well, that selling stuff on Amazon thing actually turned into the first business that I own. Um, and I've always like had a love and a fascination with graphic design and artwork. Um, and I've tried multiple times throughout my life to actually like learn how to draw. I'm actually doing it again right now. Every now and then I get it, get a, a little bug to try and learn how to draw. So I'm, I'm in the middle of that now. But uh, so I knew that I wanted to have a designer on my team. So I hired a designer and, you know, um, what happened was in the community of business owners in my network, you know, people started basically, you know, saying things like, you know, I can never get a good result with a graphic designer or, Hey, that turned out really good. How did you do that? And it seemed like there was a lot of misunderstanding about what was going on. They perceived that the good result was the result of a good designer. And it is, it certainly is. But the problem where they weren't getting a good result was not because they had a bad designer necessarily. It was because they were doing a bad job communicating with that designer. There was they, they couldn't articulate what they wanted well enough. And the designer was, you know, basically shooting in the dark and coming up with stuff that wasn't matching what they were looking for, you know? And so that's where that secret sauce kind of came in where I was able to do a better job of talking to a designer 
And I don't know if it's just because my entire career, I've been speaking to cooks and creative people and articulating what I want to see on the plate, but you know, I found myself pretty good at it. And so that's really how graphic rhythm started is we, you know, saw this opportunity to help facilitate better graphic design. And so that was it, you know, that, and, and from there we've grown uh, in a bunch of different ways. Awesome. No, that's great. And it's interesting because I think you're right. I, over the last two decades, as I've also been an entrepreneur, talked to small businesses and there's all these pain points, uh, many of them that are still not solved. Everybody just is building a better mousetrap each time, but um, maybe we never arrived there, whether it's web development, lead generation, design. Um, and with design over the years, you know, I've had clients come to me and say, hey, I already hired someone at, uh, you know, through 99 designs. I did a contest, had a bad experience. Uh, I tried doing it myself with Canva, uh, tried learning Photoshop, uh, all the different ones, right? I hired someone on Upwork or Fiverr. And back to your point is they couldn't get the outcome or the, what they had in their head, the vision, you know, and typically I, I say a lot, uh, kind of like what you said, which is, you probably didn't articulate it to them, right? Or they didn't understand your business model. What, what I have found with the creative people over the last two decades in business is that um, it, you have to learn how to speak their language. And which is why for us, we have uh, business development people who can translate what the client is asking for and then give it to the, the creative person in a way that they can understand because they don't have an MBA, they don't understand the financials and all the other things around business. So they're just understanding you want this font, that color, this is sort of the uh, look and feel. So how do you guys do that? I mean, how do you, I'm sure you have a process a system, but like when a, a business owner comes to you and says, Hey, I need a brand kit, a new logo or social media design, how much creativity do you guys use versus spending time with the client? telling you what they want, even though they don't sometimes know. Right. So we, uh, we operate at different service levels, uh, depending on what, which one of our services that you're, you're buying. Um, but when it comes to like a, a logo or visual identity guide, what, um, what surprises a lot of the clients that we work with, if, if you go to any of the services that you just mentioned, particularly like 99designs, I've gone through that process a couple of times. I don't know why it was a couple of times because the first time wasn't, <laughs> didn't work out. Um, but one of the things you'll notice is that there's a strong focus on having conversations about what do you like, you know, show us examples of what you have in mind. And, I, and those are entirely the wrong questions to ask. And the reason is simply because there's a very, very good chance that the business owner, they're, they don't have the answer. They're not, they don't have the experience to even answer those things. Um, I remember my very first business logo, I did one of those uh, design competitions and I had this absolutely stupid idea. And I did this thing, which I now call, I call it poisoning the well, right? Poisoning the well of creativity, where I give the designer bad ideas. And then completely by accident, I just think that I'm real smart and, I, and I've got good ideas when I don't. And so you give the designer a bad idea. And then the designer, thinking that they're doing what you want, iterates on that bad idea. And now it's become a really bad idea, right? And you keep going further and further down this bad idea thing. And then you, the business owner, you think, oh, I can, you know, 
I'm a type A personality, I'm motivated, I'm driven, I can get myself out of this. So I'm going to take over this design project. I'm going to tell a designer to reduce the contrast on the left-hand side and, you know, increase something else over here, right? So you're basically like trying to be a designer. It doesn't work yeah. is the point. And so the better questions are, are really, when we get on a discovery call, we ask questions about your brand and their attributes. What is your culture like? What, and, and if you're a new company, what do you want your culture to be like? What is your tone of voice? Um, tell us about your customer. What are they expecting? What is your impact in their lives? And by asking those questions, you can really um, drill down into what we call the brand attributes. And we, we take, gather those brand attributes without really even asking uh, you know, like what you want to see in a logo or anything like that. And we synthesize those into, uh, you know, creative directions and our creative director does that. And that's such a better way of approaching it because now, first of all, it takes all the stress off of the brand owner uh, or the business owner where they feel this like pressure to, you know, provide good direction or, or give good ideas to the designer, it takes the pressure off them entirely. We're going to take on that burden and we're going to synthesize your ideas. And then now we're going to tell you what we think is best. And from there, you know, it really becomes a powerful kind of process. So that's my recommendation. <laughs> like when you're dealing with a, with a designer is to, you know, certainly work with those that can synthesize your ideas, not just draw them. Right. I, I liked uh, your term, the poisoning the well, because I, I agree with you. And it took me years to, in the design creative side of the business where we do campaigns to get away from asking customers to do competitive because the SEO side of business, we focus a lot on competitive. What are they doing so that you can right, do it better than them? But that's very different creatively. And we came to a point where we started getting into design thinking as a framework to sort of delete and press reset and say, let's just start from scratch. Like you said, who's your audience? Like what's the look and feel, the tone, like the brand, right? All that stuff. And because often back in the days, we would, we would ask the customer, what do you want your website to look like? They come back and go like Apple. And you're like, but you're not Apple. And so don't say Apple. And right. so I, I agree with you that um, that sort of poisons the well when you ask, when you lead with, tell me what you like, give me an example. They're probably going to give you something that is so off the mark to begin with. Right. Yeah. And it, it sets you up for, it sets everybody up for failure. And I, I, um, I have this uh, early experience with a client that I always keep fresh in my brain. And I, I always tell new team members about it where um, this client came to us and we made the bad decision of asking them, like, give us examples of what you like. And they were really, really um, hooked on the logo of salt life. They loved it. They just mm -hmm. loved that logo. Right. And so they had this like um, envy of this logo. And so we actually created something we, and we did, we were good. We asked other questions and we came up with a logo that looked completely different than that, but that embodied, uh, you know, the ideas um, and they hated it. Right. And we couldn't do anything. We could not could do anything. We could not turn over anything to them. And ultimately I just gave them the money back. I said, I'm sorry, we, we, I don't think we can help you. And so I checked back in on them a, a few months later and went to their website and they have a logo that is basically identical to the Salt Life logo. Um, and, you know, everybody was set up for failure because there was this idea that we couldn't deviate from in their mind. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, 
once once we got out of that and we started working with clients in a whole different way, that never happened again. We never had this situation where we were trying to essentially like, you know, be like something, but not be exactly like something, you know what I mean? Um, and And our clients have really just enjoyed that much more. I like that process. So talk to me about, you know, drawing on your experience as a chef. I have many friends who are chefs and, you know, it's a fast paced, fast moving sort of environment. You know, you're making decisions that are quickly. And then the, the end user who's eating is like, you know, it's, it's tough. It's a very tough business. So I'm sure you, like you said, you're glad you didn't get into the restaurant business, even though you were, were in it for so long, but, um, drawing upon the efficiency of that and then comparing that to digital where because of the way technology has gone towards more cloud, more SaaS, oftentimes there's this expectation today that everything is taken care of by AI. Everything is just click here, click there, and it's done. And I get that from my business as well. People who think that the lead generation campaigns, the funnels are built on their own. And we're like, no, there's a lot of human capital there. So talk to me about how much automation exists in your business and, and then also uh, the people side of it, right? Because like in the restaurant business, everything is people and moving fast. And certainly you can add technology like POS systems that move faster, but ultimately it's people. In the design business, how does that, how have you brought some of that over? Yeah, so um, mo- it's almost entirely from the process standpoint, because unlike the restaurant business, you know, in the restaurant business, you put something on the menu and then a hundred people order it. Right. And we're just making the same chicken dish a hundred times mm-hmm. with the design business. It's uh, everybody's chicken dish is different, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, you know, that's really a really complicated thing. And design is so subjective um, and there's always this, there's always this balance we're trying to strike between annoying our client by asking for too much information mm-hmm. and then not asking for enough information and risking our creative interpretation being, you know, completely rejected. Um, so the actual process of design, um, and, and another cool thing that I've kind of learned, you know, like I'm not a designer, I didn't go to design school. I've never worked at a design agency. And it's interesting because um, that's been, I I know that a a designer coming into my business will will immediately see that I've never worked in a design agency. And I always always think of it um, in a couple of places in my career where I've worked for a restaurant owner who'd never worked in the restaurant business because I'd walk in and the terminology is different or the way they set things up is is weird or, or whatever. Um, but that's, but a lot of times in those restaurants, they've come up with these really unique, creative ways of doing things. And I like to think that we're the same way. So, um, anyway, that was a sidebar, but the, the, um, the processes in our business are automated and we use, um, different software. We use, uh, like process street to automate the way that we approach certain projects so that, uh, typically, in a lot of our projects, we have a, a project manager, and that project manager, um, you know, always needs to know what's next, you know, and we have a goal in our business, which is that nobody, nobody connected with our business, whether it's our team members or the client should ever be left wondering what happens next, 
uh, or, or you know, what is the next thing? And so we focus really relentlessly on making sure that we're staying really consistent about making sure that everybody's completely looped in and knows what happens next in these design projects. So we automate in that way. And then we also built a custom software um, to manage our design projects. Um, and so that's really just from kind of like a status perspective, like, okay, does this need to be revised? Uh, is this complete? Is it waiting for approval? Is it finalized? And so on and so forth. So those are really the two big areas that we use a lot of automation. But then when it comes to the actual work, it's all, you know, a designer and Photoshop or illustrator uh, doing their work. Okay. And communication wise, you know, I find it that in any platform where you're, uh, you know, telling the vendor, Hey, these are my pain points. This is what I want to solve, or this is what I need in this case design. Um, I'm seeing other solutions out there for communicating with the customer, right. To replace Slack or any of the other messaging, uh, applications out there. Uh, one that I heard of recently was, um, I forget the name now, but it's a platform that does video messaging, right? In real time. And in this pitch competition, one of the judges was saying, well, you know, communication is great. Support ticketing systems, like all these things have existed for decades. Um, and there's no perfect system, right? Because there's a lot of back and forth. And in other cases, you might have a client who just wants to hop on the phone and spend three hours telling you the same thing over and over and over. And the video thing at first to me was interesting, right? Because we also get tickets from clients, support tickets and things like that. But then I thought, you know, the, this judge made a good uh, point, which was ultimately you just want to solve the problems for the customer. And when you just said a minute ago that you try to remove any, any, any doubts of what's going to happen next, I thought that was really smart that you guys are doing that, trying to paint that blueprint or map so they know what to expect and where you're going, right? Whether it's timeline or cost or the creative process. So that's really good. But um, for, for your projects, Ian, talk to me about design-wise, when someone hires you guys for your like average package subscription, um, what are the things that they're usually uh, requesting as far as design goes? Yeah, so we have uh, what we call daily design. And um, that's one of the services that we offer. And that's a subscription, a monthly subscription graphic design service. And when you subscribe to that, what you're really subscribing to is a production design service. And in this case, you've really got to be the creative director. Um, you've got to provide good direction to the designer. And then the designer is going to use his skills, his tools, or her tools, and and try and realize your vision. You have to think of it a little bit like, um, you know, instead of working with an executive chef, right? And you say to the executive chef, "Hey, you know, I want a really nice chicken dish that is very seasonal," right? You could say that to an executive chef, and he could synthesize that idea and then come up with it. With a production designer, it's more like talking to the cook, and you have to say, "Hey, I'd really like a." grilled chicken breast with a salad and, you know, some kind of vinaigrette. You have to be more specific about what it is and trust that their skills will get you to where um, you want to go and, and help you realize your vision. So um, our subscription design service, Daily Design, uh, 
they, uh, you know, that's really for, and, and it, then it takes it from the name or the name takes it from the service is that it's really your everyday daily graphic designs. So a lot of times it's social media posts. We do a lot of like PDFs, like presentations, price lists, uh, brochures, things like that. Um, and, you know, to a lesser extent, you know, we're, we're doing things like uh, logos and um, I just went out of my head. Uh, I can't Brand remember. Kits we, and stuff like that. Yeah, we don't really do that in there. We, we, we'll do a, a mock-up of a landing page. Uh, we could do illustrations, uh, packaging design. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. You know, so things along that line. Um, in any case where you feel that you can direct this project, mm -hmm. then that's where it's going to be. And what, what we all, a lot of times see is we'll have clients who are perfectly proficient and very good at you know, submitting social media graphics and blog headers and uh, ads and stuff like that. And we could produce those really well, but then they get into a project that has uh, more of an emotional investment in it, right? So if you think of like a blog header, it's like, whatever, it's a blog header. Um, but if you get into a packaging design for this new product you're rolling out, now all of a sudden there's a, a lot more emotional investment and they feel like they're in over their head a little bit when it comes to directing it. And so then that's where we might say, hey, you know, this might be a good candidate to take outside of this daily design service and have our full team, our copywriter, our creative director, our project managers all get involved here and really, you know, make this thing what you want it to be. So that's kind of how we approach and look at the, the designs and, and what people are, you know, requesting from us. Awesome. Yeah. And, it, you know, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to you know, interview you, Ian, and also is because in our community, our listeners are mostly small business owners. And so they, they want to know the solutions to everything when it comes to digital marketing, lead generation, and being able to grow their business. Um, one other reason that I wanted to get you on here, I have many clients who do Amazon. Can you talk to me about some of your other, you have other companies, but your, your services with what you do on Amazon. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So um, our, like I said, my, this business actually grew. It, it was the internal design department of my Amazon business, and then it grew out of there. And so when it comes to Amazon, um, we have a really, um, really in-depth service uh, that we offer. And it's a, a totally done for you service. Um, and so what we're looking at is really listing optimization and brand optimization on the Amazon marketplace. So gallery images, A plus content, Amazon storefronts, Amazon posts, uh, packaging design, things like that. And, uh, you know, when you work with us, uh, what we really want to do um, is figure out what is going to uh, create a higher conversion rate for your product on Amazon. And that means overcoming objections, uh, we, we ask three things. We ask four things. It's what do people love? What do people hate? What are people confused about? And what do they expect? And if we answer those four questions using the imagery and the image slots on an Amazon listing, then it will increase conversions uh, because people, you know, typically image, images are the number one uh, contributor to a conversion rate on Amazon. It's different than like Shopify or other e-commerce sites mm -hmm. because you're, you're in a marketplace competing with other brands. So our services are really 
on the Amazon side built around that idea, just like whatever it takes to get the conversion. So that's good copywriting, it's image sequencing, it's matching the uh, uh, customer stage of awareness and their funnel position um, and really kind of creating like this conversion optimized imagery for Amazon. Wow. So that really goes from the, the, the branding, uh, 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 marketing, sales, and even customer service. If I'm looking at the full funnel, because you guys are optimizing all the way down to where the customer, it impacts the way the customer or what kind of experience they have with that particular seller. Yeah, it can be for sure. I mean, if you think about it, um, typically there hasn't been a whole lot that you could do with design to inc increase traffic on Amazon. It's mostly been like an SEO uh, title uh, kind of thing. Really the only, the only thing that you could do as a design from a design perspective is optimize the main image, which is that clickable thumbnail that you see. Um, but Amazon has actually uh, recently rolled out a service called Amazon Posts, which is like a social media kind of thing. Um, and what's really cool about posts is uh, they appear on your competitors' listings. That's number one, but it's really cool. Uh, number two, they're clickable, shoppable. So you click on them and they go to your listing where you could buy and they're free. They're completely free um, at the moment. So um, those two things are have been really cool as far as driving traffic. So if you so we, we you know we look at those and how could we drive more traffic using these two areas where imagery plays an important role. And then they get on the page, right? And so they're looking at the gallery images. Those are the uh, seven to eight images that are available on every product listing. And you're looking at those and they've got questions. You know, they think about like a baby diaper bag. They want to know right away, okay, I'm comparing this with 15 other products right now. Does this have the wipes dispenser that I'm looking for, right? So that's the, what do they expect? Um, but they also happen to have a diaper bag and there's these characteristics that they hate about it, like that the bottle compartment leaks or something like that. So are we saying explicitly on that set of images that this will not leak and demonstrating why this is superior? So anyway, so, you know, they get into that and then maybe they'll scroll on the page and see the A plus content. And a lot of times buyers really want to get engaged with a brand. I think that consumers really feel comforted knowing that they have a brand that solves the problem. You know, I'm a big fan of this company called Baron Fig. They create like books and pens and stuff like that. And whenever I need a notebook or something, I'm just grateful that I know that this company makes great stuff. Right. They'll have it to my house this week. And so that A plus content really creates that brand loyalty, that engagement. It lets them know that you're a, you know, you're a leader in the marketplace or, or that you're fully engaged with the marketplace if they click on uh, you know, click through to see more from your brand. It's not a hundred unrelated things. And so there's that end of it. And then that storefront. And then even as far as like the packaging and the insert uh, product insert, which is a big thing on Amazon for private label sellers, you know, when they, they buy, they get it, they open it up. The unboxing experience is nice. They feel connected with the brand all the way through to the finish line. And so we do a lot of that stuff with Amazon and we're, we're even poised to do things like email uh, follow-up, you know, email design or, or follow-up and social media posts so that you can really, um, you know, insert yourself into a customer's life and, and, you know, become the brand that they count on. Right. And stay consistent throughout is super important. So that makes sense that you guys would offer that uh, sort of uh, automation into their um, I've also noticed on Amazon, interesting, uh, those live videos now, you know, people, they're, they're, they're kind of doing a show and tell, um, sort of feels like QVC. Um, 
what what do you think about those? Is that something that they're just testing with? Because I know in China and other countries, it's huge, right? Yeah, I haven't actually looked into it too much at, at this point. Um, one of the things that we're looking at, um, you know, is uh, so first of all, Amazon, Amazon is is tilting really hard towards visual content like that's it's been going that way for a long time. Uh, back in the day, it used to be that you had just those gallery images and then they added a plus content. Now they've added Amazon posts, they added video, uh, you know, so you could put a video on a listing and for, for, you know, those who sell on Amazon, you know, you know, that that's not always things that every seller was able to do, you know, they, they're kind of unlocking it. And so they're continuing to do that live is the next, uh, iteration of that. So I haven't had a chance to really check it out too much, but um, it completely makes sense. And if enough people engage with it, then Amazon will keep it for sure. Yeah. So switching gears, Ian, you know, we talked about the design side of your business, what you're doing with Amazon, but then as you pivoted from being a chef for 20 years into owning your own business, I, you mentioned to me in our conversation before how you always felt like you had that sort of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, what, for you has been the most challenging part of owning your own business? Uh, um, <laughs> boy, that's a tough well, question. I'll give you uh, top five. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, well, there's so many. Sure. I, I, I'll tell you what the, the, the biggest, most challenging thing has been hiring other people to do what I do. Yeah. That has been easily the most challenging thing. When we started out, for our Amazon services, I was actually, it was me and just a few designers, right? So I was doing the creative direction and I was doing the copywriting. I was doing the market research. I was doing all of that. And for a single Amazon product for a single listing, I knew that I could do that in about an hour and a half. I could okay. put it all together and it looked great, including writing a copy. And then when I've gone out now to hire people to do that for me, first of all, I have to hire three people to do what I was doing. And it takes four hours to do it. <laughs> and so um, that's, a, that's been a challenge, uh, you know, and also just, you know, kind of infusing other people with your values and your work ethic and the way that you do things is challenging. Um, so, yeah, that'd be my answer. Awesome. And what about what's the most rewarding thing about being a business owner? Yeah. So for me, definitely not having to answer to anybody. Um, and, uh, to me being, um, I have, I have a very, very, uh, strong objection to authority. <laughs> and so, and so not having to, uh, you know, request for off or anything like that has, uh, absolutely been my favorite part about it. I'm a ruined man. I used to say it more when, you know, a few years ago when I was still new to, to, uh, you know, hundred percent not having a full-time job. But, I, you know, I'm definitely a ruined man. There's no going back for me. So the, the, all the things I'm in better work out. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I always tell new entrepreneurs, especially like I work with many startups, too. And I say, look, man, it's it's grit. You know, it's like in marketing. I tell people what I do is part science, part, part art. It's like I have this little triangle. It's like science. I can follow data analytics, all of that. Then it's art, which is creative, subjective, right? I can try different things. The third one, I can't really teach. It's grit. You got to have grit. And, um, you know, what you find out as an entrepreneur or business owner is that you have seasons, good ones, bad ones. Sometimes actually growing bigger um, is tougher, tougher in the sense that the expenses grow 
And, and, and you hit at this point, I have several times with multiple companies that grew to over a million and I'm going, well, now it's going to go to 10 million. Then it took forever to hit that next like milestone. Uh, and then in certain businesses, I just decided, well, I'll dial back, get some partners, let them run this. And I'm just a partner in it um, because you have to be passionate about it. But I agree with you. I mean, not having to answer to other people, which I tell my kids all the time. I said, I do have a boss. The boss is my customers. Those are my clients. Right. And so, but I'm still making those decisions to make sure, and back to what you said, the culture and how you do things, as long as you know that you're delivering good product, it doesn't feel like the, cu the customer is telling you what to do. It feels like you're just making them happy. And, and that's a great thing. I think we're going to see now post pandemic, quite a few people um, who are making that decision that they no longer want to do the corporate nine to five and they'd rather take a pay cut and then own their own hours um, because the benefits really outweigh the, the you know, the, 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 the side. Well, obviously money is the most important side. That's usually why people don't do it, you know. But like I said, I tell people, it's like if you have grit, if you, you, you know, not a, a stranger to working hard, you get through it. You have good days, you have bad days regardless, right? Yeah. And there's definitely, um, I'll never forget, you know, I, I quit, I quit my job, I think, uh, five years ago or so. And, uh, I, I had already been running my business on the side before then, but I, like the day I quit my job, I talked to an, an, a, a friend of mine who had quit her job a long time ago. And I'm like, this is terrifying. Like, I just feel like I jumped out of a plane without a parachute. She's like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, you'll figure it out. Like you don't have, you don't have a paycheck coming next week, buddy, you will figure out like how to make this work. And so, you know, that was, and she was absolutely right. I was exhilarating and, you know, you figured it out, you know, definitely. Well, it's such a great point, Ian. I mean, with startups, I tell them that all the time, you know, I'm, I belong to a few groups where we invest and some startups, you can ruin them once you fund them because the money's there. So everybody, right. all of a sudden, they're not as resourceful. They're like, oh, okay, I've got a million dollars to spend on marketing technology. And it, it changes when you're on a shoestring budget. People get creative. You do really uh, amazing things, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, that's so funny. I was reading something or listening to something that was talking about Chipotle, I think it was. And when they started out... Uh, I think it was Chipotle, but basically this idea that that they really had no money for marketing initially, and so the, and and they really had to get super creative, and they were just putting their logo on every stupid thing that they could possibly could, and just handing it out because it was the absolute cheapest way to get their you know, their name in front of somebody. And that's exactly right, you, you know. And I was I was thinking about that the other day as we were looking at our marketing and looking about at putting money into more money into it, and I was like, you know, are we going to lose that resourcefulness if I if I just give an employee a bunch of money and say, go, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, you know, creativity grows from constraint a hundred percent of the time. And so making sure that you're in tune with that, I think is important and you, and you don't lose touch with it, you know, in, in every aspect of your business. It's true, but, it, but absolutely, especially marketing, I can attest to that, that the, the things that we're creative about with own media, uh, your website, optimizing it for SEO email marketing, the things that you really control and have the least friction between you and your customer. Every time you add paid media to it, you know, say, oh, we're going to shift our budget and 50% of it. Now we're going to put it just towards paid. All of a sudden it's like 
you're paying for the clicks, you get the clicks, you're getting the outcomes, then you're not producing as much from here, from the organic side. And it, yeah. it does definitely diminish the, the creativity and need uh, for doing that. So, uh, Ian, is, you know, I, it's been great talking to you for the last 40, 45 minutes. And uh, tell us how we can find you uh, online. Yeah, you just head to uh, www.graphicrhythm.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being a guest in the Dadpreneur podcast. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Thanks for having me. That's it for the Dadpreneur podcast with Alex Oliveira. Like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you have questions, email us at listener at dadpreneur.co. You may also visit dadpreneur.co for free resources.